Michael Anderson is the CEO and Chief Investment Officer at Maranatha Financial. Due to industry regulations, he will not discuss any of Maranatha's investments on this program. All opinions expressed by participants on this program are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Maranatha Financial or its affiliates. For more information, visit Maranatha.com. Big Money in the 805 with your host, Michael Anderson. Michael always works in his client's best interest when it comes to their financial life and future. To reach Michael, go to Maranatha.com. And now, here's your host for Big Money, Michael Anderson. Thanks for joining us today. Be sure to listen in for these great programs we have coming up. Last week, we discussed the principle of future planning and how it's important to find balance with planning for tomorrow while also living for today. Balance is the key. Big Money in the 805 brought to you by Spanish Hills Country Club. Taste the elegance, golf, athletic, and social memberships. Visit SpanishHillsCC.com or call Cindy, 805-388-5000. Today's two-minute drill, we're going to answer the question, how ready are you if an amazing business opportunity comes along? Converse to that, how ready are you if your job had layoffs tomorrow? Where does that leave you? Have you ever thought about starting a business? What that might look like and what you'd need for that? We'll talk about all this and more in today's two-minute drill. But first, a quick shout out to Geico Local Office. These folks Live locally. They have great rates with auto and homeowners insurance for the 805. If you want a free quote, check them out. Geico Local Office. Call 805-487-7847. See if you can save up to 15%. Call 805-487-7847. Today's interview is brought to you by AllocationLeak.com, investment management that is smart, low cost, and automatic. Learn more by going to allocationlink.com. Today's guest is Mike Panessis. He is the director of California Lutheran University's Center for Entrepreneurship. You can Google CLU's Center for Entrepreneurship or take a look in the show notes. They have a great amount of resources, co-working space, support for startups, new venture competitions, classes, meetups, and much more. So look up CLU's Center for Entrepreneurship online to learn more. Mike Panace's background includes being the chairman of the board for the Tech Coast Angels, one of the largest accredited angel investor groups in the country. Mike was also the director of UCSB's technology management program. He's also done management and consulting for Camarillo-based Semtech Corp., Dealer Track, Deloitte & Touche, and AT&T. He's also on the steering committee for the Ventura County Greek Festival. So currently, he runs the Center for Entrepreneurship at California Lutheran University. Mike, thanks for being here today. It's a pleasure to be here. So let's start with uh, your background. Where did you grow up? Where did you go to school? And were you an overachiever as a kid? We'll we'll start with the the last part. Yeah, I was an overachiever. I I was a a nerd, I guess, was the best way to, to put it. I grew up in New Jersey. And I wanted to be a pharmacist. I come from an immigrant family, and uh, my grandparents, there were only two choices, doctor or lawyer, and I I really wasn't interested in either one. So pharmacist was kind of the compromise. But then my junior year in high school, this is 1980, I discovered the computer. Went to school to learn how to be a computer programmer. Was a software engineer for a while. Worked for AT&T out of college. Then worked for, uh, after AT&T broke up, for Bell Atlantic for a while. 
or as, as a consultant, and uh, then was a management consultant, an IT executive. I didn't discover entrepreneurship till I was about 40. It's not something that came to me right away, even though I should have known a lot of, a lot of my family members are entrepreneurs. Uh, and it wasn't until we moved to California about 2001 that I really, really was immersed in the startup lifestyle. How, and how did you come to discover that? Uh, it was the dot-com bubble. Being in New Jersey in 1999, there weren't a lot of startups. You, you got a job at AT&T or a big pharmaceutical company. There wasn't a whole lot of talk about launching startups. We moved out here uh, to be closer to my in-laws. My, my wife's from Orange County. My in-laws were still there. We wanted them to get to know their grandchildren. And I had heard about this startup culture in, in Southern California and wanted to be a part of it. I hap at the time, during the first dot-com bubble, this is at the turn of the century, technical talent was in demand. And I had some technical talent from the automotive industry that was of value to someone in Santa Barbara. I moved out here for a startup in Santa Barbara in 2001. I've been here ever since. Fantastic. Well, tell us a little bit about the Center for Entrepreneurship. What is the Center for Entrepreneurship at California Lutheran University? So Cal Lutheran Center for Entrepreneurship is, it's three things. Number one, it's an education program for our students to learn a little bit about being an entrepreneur. And, and we, our, our definition of an entrepreneur is kind of broad. It's not about necessarily launching a startup and making a lot of money. It's about making a difference in the world, about taking what you know, what you're passionate about, and finding purpose with it. We offer a minor in entrepreneurship to all of our students. We don't care what your major is. You can learn to be an entrepreneur, whether you're a history major, a chemistry major, a physics major, a business major. We don't care. In fact, we like it when a lot of students from a lot of disciplines come together to work, to, to work with each other. So you can minor in entrepreneurship at Cal Lutheran. The second leg of the three-legged stool is research. Being a liberal arts university, they've kind of been left out of the discussion when it comes to entrepreneurship. And we believe that's not only unfair, we believe that the liberal arts have a lot to contribute to uh, the study of entrepreneurship that really hasn't been considered in the past. And when you think about, when you watch Shark Tank, that's as much entertainment as it is launching a startup. You have to know how to give a pitch. You need to know how to be compelling. In other words, you need a drama major's kind of, kind of sensibility about how to go about that process. So we have just started doing research into the relationship between the humanities and the fine arts and entrepreneurship. And then the third leg of the stool is community outreach. It's difficult to have an entrepreneurship program for your students without there being practicing entrepreneurs. And the university recognized that. Uh, very early on, Gerhard Apfeltaler, who's the dean of the School of Management, this was all kind of Gerhard's idea that we needed to start a startup community in the Conejo Valley in Ventura County. This isn't something new. I, I think a lot of people in, in Ventura County think it's new, but the fact of the matter is, according to the Kauffman Foundation, which is the largest foundation that funds entrepreneurial activity, the Conejo Valley in Ventura County per capita in the 1990s, had one of the highest densities of startups in the country mm. for the size of the metro area. Now, when you think back to the 90s, what was going on? Well, Amgen was going on. Amgen was getting started in Thousand Oaks when everybody thought they were crazy. Nothing happened in Thousand Oaks. And Amgen's activity kind of sparked a whole lot more activity that kind of died, or it didn't necessarily die. It just kind of withered away. And a lot of people who otherwise may have started businesses went to work for Amgen or they went to work for Semtech or, or another big company in the area. That entrepreneurial spirit was kind of forgotten for a while. And we're bringing it back. Let's talk about that. So I, I know a lot of people have the idea of starting a business. 
It's inherent in, in many of us. It's part of our culture. Today, like we're talking about a little later in the show about how the importance of having a buffer and having enough cash to start a business and, and what that takes. And I know it's important to have enough cash on hand, but what are some of the other things that come to mind when starting a business? Like what perspective is important to have for someone starting a business? First and foremost, you should go into a business that you're passionate about personally. You have to love what you do more so even than when you have a job because it's going to be a 24-7 kind of job. Two is you, you, you have to be resilient. You have to be willing to accept that you're going to fail. Most startups don't succeed right away. It takes two, three, four, five, ten 10 tries before you get it right. If you panic quickly, you should, you should not attempt a startup. Third is you have to have a customer focus. Too many people think, I've got a great idea. This idea can't miss. I'm gonna launch a startup and push this idea. Businesses are all about having customers. If you can't convince someone to buy your product or service, again, you shouldn't try. So having that mindset that I'm going to do what my customers want, I'm going, I need to come up with a value proposition. We talk about value propositions a lot to our students. Something I do or make that someone finds valuable enough that they want to pay for it. You need to discover what your unique value proposition is. And if you have a cool technology that embodies that value proposition, great. But what we find with most entrepreneurs, even really, really smart ones, PhDs, what they have in their heads about what the right startup idea is, is not what the company ends up being mm -hmm. because the value proposition has to be fine-tuned. One of my business professors was telling me it's not the idea that's important always, but probably more important, it's the execution of the idea. It's that resilience, it's that follow-through, it's that tenacity. Can you speak to that a little bit? Well, execution and also experimentation. We teach our students that to understand whether you have a value proposition or not, you have to go out and talk to people. Th this is a concept that was popularized by Steve Blank. Steve is a serial entrepreneur up in the Bay Area who uh, teaches at Berkeley and Stanford. And Steve is a big proponent of get out and talk to who you think your customers are. Get out of the office, get out of the lab, and collect data. That's where the resilience comes in because your customers may not always want to talk to you and you have to figure out how to get in the office, get your foot in the door and engage them in a conversation. The trick in terms of execution is taking all that knowledge about what your value proposition is and turning it into something that you can sell. So you go from that discovery process to creating what we call a minimum viable product. And that's a very intentional term a product that does the absolute least it has to do so that someone will pay for it. People who are passionate about their ideas have a tendency to want to have it do every last feature that you could possibly think of and build all that stuff in before you possibly sell it. So we encourage entrepreneurs to be willing to go to market with a product that isn't everything they want it to be, but is enough that someone's willing to pay for it. And in this day and age, people are more willing to accept imperfection have you ever backed a Kickstarter project or an Indiegogo yeah. project yeah, I have. where you're paying for, for an idea that's going to become real? It may become real next week. It may become real in six months or in my record, it may become real in two years. But I care enough about the value proposition that that product embodies to, to be willing to support that entrepreneur. And from the entrepreneur's end, you have to be willing to stay at it. Then you move, once you prove that concept, you prove that you have customers, then it's a matter of operationalizing, is that a word? 
your startup idea. Then now that you've got customers, people start to have job titles. Up until then, they haven't really mattered. Uh, they start to, to have a specific responsibility that they're supposed to live up to. There have to be metrics about how many of these things can you produce in a, in a day and, or how many customers can you serve in the cloud in, in an hour. Uh, that you live up to and that you you manage to. And that's where you make the transition from being a startup where your existence is questionable because you're not sure you have a repeatable, sustainable business model to be a going concern business. That's interesting stuff. I mean, there's a lot, you can see there's a lot that goes into it. It's not just starting a business because you're passionate about it. There's a lot that goes into it. I think you're speaking well to that. One of the things I want to cover in this interview, I know you have a wonderful history behind the startups locally in the 805 we've seen. Can you share with our listeners some of the success you've seen in the 805 with startups over the last 10 years? First of all, in the 805, there's always been a startup culture, at least for as long as I've been here. From the people I speak to, it goes back further than that. The 805 has this interesting mix of that Bay Area go, go, we've got to invent today, we don't want to wait till tomorrow, and with a more, mixed with a more laid back Southern California, well, maybe we'll go, the surf's good today, I'm going to go surfing, and then I'll work on my startup. In terms of successes, how far back do you want to go? You go all the way back to Amgen. Semtech got its start Newbury Park. Uh, actually, they may have started in the Valley and moved to Newbury Park and are now growing in Camarillo. Work your way up the coast to Ventura. You've got Patagonia in Ventura that started here and has grown here. You've got the Trade Desk now that started at the Ventura Ventures Technology Center. Ventura actually was very early to the startup incubation business, and the city runs its own startup incubator. The Trade Desk started there and grew there. In Santa Barbara, what 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 happens in Santa Barbara is remarkable for my money. It's one of the most vibrant startup communities in the world. When I got here, there were a few big businesses in Santa Barbara that are no longer there. There was Fidelity National Information Solutions, the, the title search company, and there was Tenet Healthcare was headquartered in Santa Barbara. Fidelity went to Jacksonville. Uh, Tenet went to Dallas. You fast forward to now, those, those companies have been replaced by Lynda.com, which started in Ojai, then was in Ventura, then went to Carpinteria, and is now owned by who? LinkedIn. Procore and Carpinteria, which started as one Santa Barbara's quest while he was up in the Bay Area to keep tabs on home construction in Santa Barbara, that, that now has grown to occupy all of the Carl's Jr. headquarters. We were worried about Carl's Jr. leaving, not to worry. Procore is, has got that all covered. You've got a folio in Goleta, uh, that was a follow-on from GoToMeeting uh, that Citrix acquired. The guys who founded Citrix sold, or GoToMeeting sold to Citrix, started Appfolio. They're publicly traded now. There's Tracker. Tracker, Tracker. Uh, the news just broke uh, yesterday, I think. Tra Tracker just closed a $50 million VC round. This is two UCSB engineering students, won the new venture competition, had this idea to create a device that prevented you from losing your keys. And now they've raised $50 million from top-tier VCs and Amazon.com. I know I, there are more. Yeah. And then if you go up to so San Luis no, yeah, Obispo, yeah. you, no one talks about San Luis Obispo. It's probably got, for its size, one of the best startup communities I've come across, very much related to Cal Poly, turning out those engineers who are conditioned to learn by doing. There's the hothouse in San Luis Obispo that has an incredible incubator program. I, I think it's going on right now. So wherever you go in the 805, there is a startup 
kind of kind of attitude. That's exciting. And to that end, I, I saw you speak a few years ago, and many people aren't necessarily computer savvy, so they don't think they can be in this startup game. But I know that's not true. And, and you kind of talk about this idea about there's three different types of people that are very relevant in starting a startup. You have the hacker, the hipster, and the hustler. So share with our listeners the difference between the hacker, the hipster, and the hustler, and, uh, and how they're important. I think the origin of those terms comes from Techstars, which is a group that promotes entrepreneurship. They own Startup Weekend, these weekend-long events where you, you work on starting a business. There are a certain set of skills that you need to have to launch a business, and very few people have all of them. They divide them into three groups, hacker, hipster, and hustler. The hacker is the techie, the step-by-step person who makes your idea real. And it's not just programmers. It's the operations person. If you make products, the person who does shipping, anybody who's, who's, who can live in between the idea and the reality. The hipster is the idealist, the person with the idea, the visionary who's thinking five, ten years ahead. But you wouldn't want them to do the day-to-day because nothing would ever get done. Uh, but you absolutely need them to be your conscience and your, your designer and your visionary. And then the hustler is the person who goes out and sells stuff and who interacts with the world and closes deals, has that skill set that it's one thing to be a hacker with a cool technology. It's another to be a hipster with a design sense, but you need that hustler that goes out and sells stuff. I love that analogy. I think it's wonderful to put into perspective for people. So how can uh, people get more involved with the um, CLU's Center for Entrepreneurship? So we have our own co-working space called Hub 101, where if you're an entrepreneur and you want to get started, you can come to Hub 101 to do it. Hub 101, uh, you, you pay us a monthly fee and you can sit at a desk and you're going you're to be sitting next to another entrepreneur who's going through the same sorts of things that you are. Uh, so if you're interested in being an entrepreneur, I encourage you to go to Hub 101's website, hub101.la, and check us out. The Center for Entrepreneurship, it's calutheran.edu slash entrepreneurship. You can sign up for our email list. We have regular speaking events. We have an entrepreneur speaker series where we bring in mostly successful entrepreneurs to talk about their successes and failures to give advice on how you ought to work on launching a startup. If you go to meetup.com and you look for meetup groups that are entrepreneurship or even tech related, we host a lot of meetup groups at Hub 101. Look for us at other community events. There's another group that happens to live at Hub 101 called 805 Startups that hosts networking events. Uh, 805startups.com, they host events at Hub 101. They host them at the V2TC. They try to get entrepreneurs uh, together to compare notes. There's this misconception that entrepreneurs are these lone wolves in garages who emerge from their garage once they've got a product to sell, and, and that couldn't be further from the truth. Most entrepreneurs, even the introverts, need want to be around other entrepreneurs to have a support network to help them on with their startup ideas. Mike Panasis from California Lutheran University Center for Entrepreneurship. Thank you so much for joining us today. I hope you'll come back again soon. You're welcome. I enjoyed it very much. Get ready to take some notes. It's time for the two-minute drill with Michael Anderson on Big Money in the 805. Two-minute drill. Grab a piece of paper and a pencil. It's time for today's two-minute drill. Brought to you by Geico Local Office. Car and homeowner's insurance for the 805. You could save up to 15%. Call 805-487-7847. Geico Local Office.
In today's two-minute drill, we have to talk about the importance of having a financial buffer. How much is enough? Let's try to put a little context on things. How ready are you if an amazing once-in-a-lifetime opportunity falls right into your lap? Do you have the access to funds? Have you ever dreamed about starting a business? And how much would be enough to get you started? The other side of that coin, how ready are you if there are layoffs at work tomorrow? Do you have enough reserves to sustain? Sometimes life happens. And the data shows that if you're prepared, if you have a buffer, you'll fare much better. This is why having a financial buffer or an emergency fund is so important. Keep this money that is out of sight and out of mind, and uh, we can talk about this a little bit. So here in the 805, we've seen some big downsizing in the oil industry. Also, Amgen is a big employer. They've had some layoffs, some large layoffs uh, pretty recently. So you can be an amazing employee, but with layoffs, it's not personal. It's a business decision, and the company has fallen on hard times. So without having a good buffer in place or an emergency fund, it has the potential to be a financial nightmare. And here's what typically happens. If you don't have a healthy buffer in place and you lose your job, you end up putting everything on credit cards. And then it's maybe it's a struggle for making your house payments. If you have a 401k with any loans, you're going to be required to pay those back when you separate from the job. Uh, there could be a big tax hit or federal penalty if you don't. So sometimes life happens, but if you have a buffer, you fare much, much better. So to sum this up and bring it all together, today's principle number four is having a buffer. It's important to have enough money saved up, out of sight, out of mind. When life happens and catches you by surprise, you'll fare much better with having a buffer. If you want additional help with financial planning, you can find a fee-only financial planner at napfa.org, N-A-P-F-A.org. Or if you want to speak with me personally, you can go to my website, marinantha.com, M-A-R-A-N-A-N-T-H-A.com, or email me, michael at allocationlink.com. Now it's time for the Nonprofit Spotlight with your host, Michael Anderson, on Big Money in the 805. Nonprofit Spotlight. Here is a local group we want you to know about. Nonprofit Spotlight, brought to you by Pierpont Racquet Club, serving Ventura since 1977. Get your 30 day pass online. Visit pierpontrc.com. Before we jump into today's spotlight, I wanted to ask a few questions with our UCSB intern, Andy Taylor. Uh, he's been wonderful to work with. And Andy, share with our listeners, what are you studying? And uh, maybe you can share a little bit about that. Oh, thanks, Mike. Uh, I'm a third year at UCSB. Um, I'm studying financial mathematics and statistics, uh, which is in the probability and statistics department. Uh, it's kind of the quantitative side of finance, uh, a lot more to do with uh, data science and uh, that kind of developing field in finance. And the question I want to ask you to, at school, how prepared are kids these days? From your perspective, what do you see as it relates to their financial literacy? Well, from my perspective, uh, at least as a kid in college, um, you know, maybe dealing with uh, a little more fortunate uh, group of kids, uh, kids who are going to school, a lot of kids have like a safety net uh, from their parents. And uh, I'd say we're pretty unprepared uh, with financial literacy, uh, to be honest. Um, I think a lot of people are kind of caught in this transition phase between childhood and adulthood. A lot of people don't think they're actually in the real world. Um, I know a lot of my friends uh, don't really think they're in a position where they need to save. They 
think that they're not uh, having to deal with real world problems and uh, that kind of makes them not have a disciplined approach to spending and uh, they think they can save sometime in the future. And I know most of my friends couldn't come up with, you know, $500 if they needed to today. Uh, you know, none of them have an emergency fund and that results in a lot of people not spending or uh, sorry, not saving for the future. Yeah. Well said. Well, you've done a great job over the summer. It's been great to have you here. So let's jump into today's nonprofit spotlight. Take it away, bud. Sure. This week's nonprofit spotlight is dedicated to the Wolf Museum of Exploration and Innovation in downtown Santa Barbara. Since opening in February, this museum has been a prime destination for tourists and residents alike in the 805. Moxie's mission is to ignite learning through interactive experiences in science and creativity. The opening of this museum was the product of countless hours of dedication from volunteers, businesses, and foundations in the Santa Barbara region. This nonprofit intends to provide a place of learning for minds of all ages for many years to come. If you'd like to learn more about Moxie and upcoming special exhibits, visit their website at moxie.org. That's M-O-X-I dot org. You're tuned in to Big Money in the 805 with Michael Anderson. Now it's time for Michael to go to the mailbag and answer some questions from listeners. Mailbag, we answer your questions about money, Wall Street, and local issues. Brought to you by AllocationLink.com. Investment management that is low cost, smart, and accessible by all. Learn more at AllocationLink.com. This week, our first question from the mailbag comes from Rebecca in Santa Paula. She asks, I have a 401k loan and I'm thinking about switching jobs. What happens to my 401k loan if I change jobs? Uh, well, Rebecca, switching jobs, your 401k loan, maybe you can transfer that to your new job if they have a 401k as well. You'd be able to transfer your 401k over and then convert that to a new loan with them. But when you do switch jobs and you have a 401k loan, you're going to be required to make that loan whole again. They're going to want you to repay that back. So sometimes that can be an issue um, if you're not ready to do that. So that's the one thing you want to Take a look at your old job um, with what their terms are and what the new job is as well. Good luck with that. Margaret Noxnard asks, how much does it cost to get some financial advice? I want to see if I'm on track, but I don't want to pay $1,000 and I don't have money to invest. Can I pay for a review? Well, Margaret, the first thing you want to do is go to the website, napfa.org, N-A-P-F-A.org. You're going to be able to find a fee-only financial planner in your area on that website. And a lot of them will have their prices quoted and listed there. Most of the time, they want to have you do a package, which is get a financial plan. And sometimes that does cost 1000 or more. But you can ask them about doing an hourly, one-hour review or just a time-sensitive meeting that has a specific amount you should be able to find someone if you go there. So good luck with that, Margaret. If you have any questions for the mailbag, submit it online at marinantha.com, M-A-R-A-N-A-N-T-H-A.com. Well, that does it for our show today. Join us next week. Greg Gillespie, Chancellor of Ventura County Community College District, will be here. Thanks for tuning in. Check us out on iTunes, Big Money in the 805. You can subscribe and get the show notes. Special thanks to Tom Spence, our hero here at KVTA, and Spanish Hills Country Club. Thanks for all your support. You can contact me at marinantha.com, M-A-R-A-N-A-N-T-H-A.com, or michael at allocationlink.com. Have a great week. Join us again next time. <laughs>